For context, it's set in the 6th century BC in the ancient Near East and the land of Judah has been invaded by Babylon. It's fallen and the people of God have been dispersed. Some, particularly the elite, have been deported to Babylon. The book is partly written in Hebrew and partly in Aramaic. Uh, and it's split into stories of Judean exiles working in the court of pagan kings, the first six chapters, and accounts of visions experienced by Daniel in the last six chapters. The point of the stories, the first six uh, chapters in Daniel, are to edify and encourage the Jewish diaspora to maintain their sense of ethnic identity and worth, and also to make the best of their situation to, to sort of take a generally positive attitude despite their circumstances by trusting in God Almighty who rules over even uh, the most powerful human rulers of the day. Essentially, the first six um, chapters are theological stories conveying a truth about God and his sovereignty to the readers. Go check out the Bible Project overview video where this image is taken from for more um, about the book as a whole. So we're, gonna, we're coming in to the book um, in chapter three into the story of Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are their Babylonian names. You could call them slave names. And these three young Israelites are in the service of King Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian court. It's likely they're between the ages of 15 to 20, and it's very possible that they've been made eunuchs by the Babylonians. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, says this. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility Young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught in the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Rather than destroying their enemies, Babylonian strategy was to assimilate them into their own culture a culture of hostile pagan and emperor worship. Basically, they were trying to indoctrinate them. And throughout the first two chapters, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have avoided execution once already. They found great favor with the Babylonian officials and with King Nebuchadnezzar. And in fact, at the end of chapter two, they are promoted after God successfully interprets Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar's troubling dreams through Daniel, their friend, an obvious key character of the book. In chapter 2, verse 49, they're appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So if you get a chance this week, do read the first two chapters. Um, the, the picture that's built up around these four young men, including Daniel, is one of faithfulness, obedience, and commitment to the Lord, no matter the consequences. And that continues into chapter three. So in chapter three, all of the officials across the land, the governors, the treasurers, the counselors, the justices, the magistrates, they're all commanded to bow down and worship a big golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has made. And if they don't, 
They're told they'll, be, they'll get thrown into a fiery furnace of, yeah, fiery furnace. <laughs> Big, hot, blazing fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse, and they're persecuted as a result. Some Chaldeans are jealous of them, of their professional status and their, and their favor, so they dob them in to the king. And that's where we're going to jump in at chapter 3, verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these, so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lark, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, weren't there three men that we, t that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking, walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the gods of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or, or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the kid promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Awesome. Thanks, Reese. Epic story, isn't it? Okay, 
Uh, is there anyone a big exercise fan here? There's like no, no hands. It's like one hand, one exercise fan. Any regular gym members? Well done for admitting it. <laughs> any, any big gym members? Gym members? One, one gym member. Wow, you guys really love to exercise here. Well, I'm guessing no one here is versed in using these resistance bands then. Anyone? Oh, some more, more hands. Okay, so you know what to do with these. I have the gear, but <laughs> literally no idea. I borrowed these from Tess, and I was like, how do you use them? She was, <laughs> I don't even want to show you what she did. She put them around, she put them around her knee, and she was doing these moves. Anyway, I don't actually think that's how you use them. Um, but I'm told by the super reliable World Wide Web that these resistance bands are basically big elastic bands used for strength training and for physical therapy as well, after injuries um, to slowly rebuild strength in the damaged muscle. And the more, as I understand it, the more the band is stretched, the higher its resistance to stretch becomes. All right? It's World Wide Web, right? The more the band is stretched, the higher its resistance to stretch becomes. Come back to that later. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being stretched in this story to extraordinary lengths. They're in major conflict with the society they live in, pressured to the point of death to give up their Jewish identity. The other officials have been trained, almost like Pavlov's dogs, to respond in unthinking submission to the commands of the king when they hear the musical instruments. In their bowing down, they lose something of their humanity. What do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do in the face of losing something of their humanity, of losing something of their heritage and their identity, in the face of losing their integrity as the people of God, in the face of disobeying and dishonoring the God of Israel, in the face of persecution, of being stretched to breaking point, they resist. Verses 16 to 18 are the only words Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego speak. And they land right in the center of the whole story. They say this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They're saying, our God can save us. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we won't stop worshipping him. It's resistance, not through violence or protest marches or shouting loudly on Twitter or even striking. Not that any of those things are bad, apart from, you know, I probably wouldn't condone violence. It's resistance through complete trust and commitment to God, to his character and his commands, to his call and his claim on their lives. There is such boldness in their choice. Some scholars argue that verse 17 is more accurately translated in this way. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, let him deliver us. 
if our God is able to save us. As in, if it fits with his will. The word if signifies a sense of doubt. Having experienced the invasion of their land, they will have known better than any of us that God doesn't always save or deliver the faithful. They might not have been confident that God would save them, and yet they put him and his ways first anyway. They had something of the courage of the cross. The crowds and the chief priests jeered and mocked Jesus as he hung there. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross, they said. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he wants to. Jesus knew that he could save himself that very moment. He knew that he would be saved in a way they least expected. And even though he knew he would die that day, Jesus wouldn't dis- disobey or dishonor his father or, the, or their, rest, their rescue plan for the world. Krish Kandaya in his book, Paradoxology, describes the cross as humanity's darkest moment, meeting the brightest display of divine love the world has ever seen. Our God is the God who wins as he loses. Notice that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are not saved from the fire, but they are kept safe in it. Jesus has never promised his followers a life free from difficulty, from pain or from loss. In fact, he tells us that to follow him, we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. For he says in Luke 9, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. That's what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did. And instead, God the Trinity promises his strengthening presence, his Holy Spirit, in the darkest moments of our lives. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are thrown into the blazing hot, hotter than the sun hot furnace, a fourth man appears with them. Most scholars would describe him as an angelic being. Less would say the fourth man is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Either way, we have a God who meets us in the fire. Most of us in the West uh, don't face the likelihood of death for being a Christian. However, this is the reality for so many of our brothers and sisters across the globe in the persecuted church. Currently, the 10 countries where Christians face the most extreme persecution are Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, and India. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for the people of God in these countries who face the same fate as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We need to pray for them to have the same courage, to be able to resist, emboldened, and declare to their their persecutors as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Our God can save us. Our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we won't stop worshipping him. 
the result of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's radical resistance to God, for God, is that King Nebuchadnezzar begins to believe in and honour the Lord. He creates a decree telling everyone in the land to also honour the God of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar is not converted yet, but the event and the courageous faith of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego has a big impact on him. He begins to see the God of Israel for who he is and the people of God now have some element of recognition and protection in Babylon. You could say that Daniel 3 is really a story about the effect Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's courage has on those around them. It highlights that the real contest was not between the Jews and the king, but between the desire for power and the God of Israel. The statue Nebuchadnezzar built represents human kingdoms and powers. Unlike God Almighty, they come and go, they rise and they fall. Don't know about you, but I find that pretty reassuring in today's political climate. We live in a world obsessed with power. And Daniel 3 reminds us that the moral nature of God is more important than his might. His power is not what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were concerned with. They, were ready to, they, weren't, they weren't ready to die to force God to show he was more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar, even though that he did. They were ready to die for him, for his character and for his call to live his covenant way of life. The story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego offers us hope. It is possible to be faithful to God, to our identities in him and still play active parts in our secular society. Look at chapters one to three for the roles that they played. And that can provide opportunity for us to witness to the character of God. The danger we face is the temptation to assimilate to the culture around us. Remember that Babylonian strategy? To assimilate to a way of life not centered on God and his kingdom, but to what society says is okay instead. For example, the idea of doing whatever you like as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. It wouldn't have been causing anyone harm for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to bow down to that golden statue. It wouldn't have caused anyone harm except God. Did you notice that Nebuchadnezzar's primary concern was with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's public actions, not their private beliefs? There's a parallel today. Religion is acceptable as long as it's a matter of private belief and doesn't lead anyone to challenge the assumptions and values of society by what they say and do. Where are we compromising and bending to society rather than the kingdom of God? Where do we, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, need to put up some resistance? Where are we living in conflict with society? What pressures us to give up our integrity as a follower of Jesus? What erodes our identity as the people of God? Where are we stretched to disobey, disobey and dishonor God? 
we need to pray for ourselves too. The gods of our culture aren't huge golden statues, they're sneakier. In Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego situation, there was no gray zone. You either worshipped God or you worshipped other gods for all to see. And you couldn't do one whilst pretending to do the other. Today, there's a gray zone. Our idols are our phones, our careers, our reputations, our finances, our sports teams, our exam results, our Netflix watch lists, our image, our social media accounts, our appearance, our homes, our quality of life, our relationships, our health and life on this earth, our dreams, ambitions and goals, our wants, our desires and pleasures, our human rights, our happiness. None of these things are necessarily ungodly in and of themselves. In fact, human rights were born out of the Christian faith. That's why Mark Sayers calls it a grey zone in non-anxious presence. These things become idols when we give them more of our time, attention, energy and resources than we do to God. When we want them more than we want God himself. The phrase, our God can, our God will, but even if he doesn't, we won't stop worshipping him, has become a bit of a life motto for me. A way to pray in faith without holding God ransom to my wants. I would speak it and pray it out when my dad was dying of cancer. My God can save my dad. My God will save my dad. But even if he doesn't, I won't stop worship. I will, even if he doesn't, I will still worship God. My dad died in 2017. Dave and I battled with infertility for four and a half years. I have pretty severe endometriosis and I realised fairly early on in the journey that having biological children was an idol for me. As a woman, I felt like I was entitled to carry and birth a child, especially as I'd wanted it for as long as I could remember. But God had never promised me a biological child, or any child for that matter. So I decided not to hold him ransom to the outcome that we'd like, but to speak out this truth instead. Our God can give us a child. In fact, he's the creator of all life. He is the only one who can. Our God will give us a child. If not biological, then hopefully through adoption. But even if he doesn't, I won't stop worshipping him. Where do you need to stretch your resistance band? Maybe as strength training, preparing you to keep stepping it up in your sphere of influence. Maybe as therapy, after experiencing some damage, some hard times, some losses. Use your elastic band as a bit of accountability to resist the temptation to compromise the way of Jesus. Wear it on your wrist, uh, tie it on your bag, put it on your keychain. Use it as a reminder that God is working 
even when you feel stretched. Where do you need the same courage of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? The same courage of the cross to complete commitment to a God who meets us in the fire, to his character and his commands, his call and his claim on your life. Where in your life do you need to repeat over and over the truth that your God can, your God will, but even if he doesn't, you won't stop worshipping him? I'm going to play a song, a video, um, and let God minister to you through this song. It's a Wren song called Hallelujah Anyway. Let him raise up your courage to worship him through it all, through the fear, through the losses, through the darkness, through the conflicts, through the opportunities. Sit and listen if you want to, if you don't know it. Personally, I struggle to sit still when this song is playing. So I equally want to encourage you to stand and join in if you want to. Do whatever you want to do, feel however you feel, but um, let God minister to you. Let me pray and then we'll We'll play the video. God, we thank you that you are not a distant God. You are a God who meets us in the fire. And we ask that right now you would come and meet with us here by your spirit. That you would raise up courage in us to resist to resist idols of the day, to resist compromise, to stand firm for your kingdom, for your character. Raise up the courage to speak out, to pray in, to stand on the truth that you can, that you will. And even if you don't, we won't stop worshipping you.